Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam. I am. Welcome to the Lifeboat live stream. Okay, tonight we've got a special guest. Now, I, I want to give you just a brief little history here. If you guys remember months ago, we had this sort of affidavit uh, surface from Teresa Long. We weren't sure of its ethnicity. It panned out. It was real. And I think that set into motion this whole uh, series of events uh, that Matthew Crawford here is joining us tonight to uh, break down what's happening with the DMAD data. Now, this is the Department of Defense gold standard clinical data. Uh, oh, gosh. Matthew, welcome to the show. You, It's the... Um, what is it? Department, a Defense Medical Epidemiological Database, DMED, correct? Oh, I've Medical got it. database. Okay, and to give people an idea of your background and like how you got involved in all of this in the first place, would you? Sure. Um, I I was a, a quant trader on Wall Street. Um, actually, before that, I was a I was an actuary for a couple of years uh, while I was working my way through college. Um, Later, I uh, became an uh, education entrepreneur, uh, helped build um, uh, programs and write uh, a new line of textbooks for um, advanced math students, and then went back to uh, trading once the uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency world began okay. to grow up. But I kind of dropped everything when the pandemic started because I saw immediately just enormous amounts of problems, <laughs> uh, a lot of things that weren't the way they should be. And... Um, and I was expecting something dramatic after the repo market collapse, which I personally see as the beginning of the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I was doing, it's funny you mentioned crypto. I didn't know that about you, but uh, this show started off as uh, talking about XRP and Ripple and what's happening in crypto. And I saw what was coming with the pandemic. I did a show on uh, SHTF prepping and like, guys, it's all about to break down. Something big's coming. I don't know what, but this doesn't add up for me either. And I started talking about the uh, election. That was really what clued me in. Like, they're doing, there's a plan here. There's something bigger than just kind of what we're seeing. And then it kind of morphed into the whole, uh, the vaccines. And, and my audience was asking me, what do you think about it? I started looking at the vaccine injuries. And one of the things I noticed right out of the gate, a lot of fit people, are really the ones having these heart problems. So like there seems to be a correlation there and you know, months later it turns out, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. So um, you, you got a copy of this data, of this data set. This is not an easy thing to do. Why don't you walk, walk our audience through kind of how you found this and what you've done to sort of pull this information together. Right, and um, and just to be sure, uh, it's understood. I don't have anything like a full copy of the database. Okay. Uh, I don't. You would need uh, security clearance for that. Um, uh, some sort of or some sort of specially granted access. But uh, in early February, Robert Malone called me and he said, um, you know, can you take, you know, a, an additional look at what's going on with DMED, um, especially after the DoD had, yeah, after the Senator Johnson hearing a few days later, the DoD came yes. came back with a one line statement through Politifact that just said, oh, there was a glitch in the database. There's nothing wrong. You know, that that, that explained all of the, the results. And it, it sounds too fishy, right? Like yeah. it's, it's 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 too unexplained. It's too simple. It's it's just, you know, but but they did they did take down the database and put it back up awfully quickly. So there there is something interesting and I think tricky going on there. And I think that uh, it, it wasn't understood yet at the time. And actually it took me a few weeks like to fully understand it. Um, so on uh, February so I I 
talked to Thomas Renslater that day. And then on February 10th, I started to get, you know, unclassified data um, queries that had been run. Uh, you know what a query is? Uh, I do. I used to work in telecom and would do data mining on all of the AT&T landline records. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I've heard this explanation. Oh, it was a glitch. Oh, we uh, duplicated some records. And I'm, I, I've actually done that with some of my queries that are creating tables and so forth. So, I, I don't know how they duplicated records and got the result that they got. It really doesn't add up for me either. So both of us yeah. were very much in agreement there that something's very fishy here with this data. So I got together a small, um, small data team, uh, me, a uh, computer scientist and uh, a bioinformatics instructor, um, you know, PhD researcher. Um, and the three of us started, um, you know, looking at the queries and, you know, at first it was, a, it took a little while. This is not a database. Probably it's, it's not nearly as complicated as, as any database you've used. This is normally to be used by doctors or, you know, um, uh, biomedical researchers who wouldn't need much direction. Okay. Uh, so it's not like, um, a MySQL server where, where you're putting in, you know, uh, where you're joining tables and making sure that everything is, you know, one-to-one, you know, matching the way that you want it. There, there's not heavy logic to it. It's just punching some radio buttons that say year, you know, age groups, okay. male or female, you know, break it down by armed force or not, you know, it, it, right. it's, it's um, you know relatively simple to punch in the buttons and then and then you press go and you get an output in the form of an Excel spreadsheet. Okay. Um, so they were taking these outputs and they and they were you know uh, comparing 2021 to the five prior years 2016 through 2020 and the whistleblowers were like whoa we get these you know several hundred percent you know increases in these major diagnostic categories not even like, like full big picture diet not like one form of cancer but all forms of cancer together. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that they made some mistakes. I think that, that it was, um, it was a job quickly performed, but this was, you know, caring doctors who were seeing results with their own eyes. They were seeing, you know, intuitively they were like, well, this form of cancer I've seen three times this year, but like, yes. you know, once in the last five years. Right. So right. You know, they, they were, they were taking some observations and, and trying to come up with data that, that supported the observations. Um, so, there, there were problems though. And the problems were several fold. And if you don't have data professionals, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy to unwind like the, the numerous problems that were involved. So one, uh, and, and this, this took me a little while to, to come to grips with because it wasn't what I expected. There was a glitch and the DOD did fix a glitch. The okay. problem is that it was a fake database. Yes. Now, how, how do you know, or what has you suspecting that it's a fake database? Yeah. And I'll go ahead and say, I'm using the word fake rhetorically, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's easier for people to understand. If you go back like a full year and, you know, there, there are snapshots of the database that are published online. Right. There is um, a, a place called, there's a website called health.mil. And within that website, there are these medical surveillance monthly reports. And every year in May, they publish a snapshot of the database, hospitalization reports and ambulatory reports for each major diagnostic category defined by what are called ICD-10 codes. And these are medical billing codes. So, okay. you know, all the neoplasms, which are the cancers together, all the you know, musculoskeletal, you know, uh, injuries or dysfunctions together. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, 20 something of these diagnostic categories and they publish like the top 20 uh, each year for hospitalization and ambulatory results. So, 
Um, and and, and Matthew, I just want to jump in. The um, we're talking about active duty military members in this data, or are there other people in there? I mean, these these are generally pretty healthy folks in the first place. Right. Right. This is just the active duty. One point three million. Yeah, members yeah. of the armed services. It's not even like their spouses or children okay. or anything like that. It is. It's just all the members of the armed forces, active duty. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, snapshots of this database are published each year. And so one of the things that I wanted to do to come to grips with certain rates of illness, you know, like is the DOD right or are the whistleblowers right, mm-hmm. was I was going to, you know, mine the, the, the back data. Right. So we did, we, we put it all in spreadsheets. And one of the members of my team pointed at the spreadsheet said, wait, the numbers for 2016 and 2018 changed in the last report. And I was like, Hmm, you know, I, I, I suspect that's going to be where we find the issue. So I, I stayed up like eight hours all night, one night, like going through, um, you know, the history of every single past report and seeing, you know, do changes like this ever, ever take place? The answer is no <laughs> changes yeah. like that. You know, normally like from, from one snapshot to another, you get tiny little updates, you know, some, some office reports that didn't report previously or uh, some, some dates are moved over a date line. So, right. you know, some from 2013, suddenly or 2014 reports. Right. So you know, normally it's like 0.1%. You know, okay. changes, um, but these were like 250 times the average rate of change. It was an average of 13 and a half percent per diagnostic category, okay. um, and every single one was revised upward. So, I my personal belief, like it's 100 percent certain that the snapshots changed in 2021, and that's entirely anomalous. I think there's a 99 percent chance that the reason was to create confusion and to hide vaccine injuries but we can get closer to zooming in on that pretty soon. But um, okay. one of the reasons I'll, I'll point out that we, that we should feel that this is very suspect is uh, anytime a database is changed, um, users would be informed about that change, right? An actuarial database has changed. You would get, you know, some 30 or 50 page article in the trade magazine explaining why it is that, you know, rates of car crashes or, you know, reinsurance claims changed um, so that, so that, the users of that data would understand how to continue to use it mm-hmm. fluidly, mm-hmm. right? There, and, and no, we're having no that. We're having that now with, um, I think, in Washington State, ac- fatal accidents are up eighteen point something percent, despite the fact that fewer miles are being driven, and they're trying to like figure out what's happening here. Of course, it's pretty obvious, but nobody wants oh, to acknowledge oh. the elephant in the room. Oh well, let me explain that. That's not even what I mean. Okay, it's not that. It's not that the rates went up from one year to the next. Okay, it's that the past numbers changed. Like what had been reported for 2016 was now reported as a different number in 2021. So did they did they do this by adding new records, or did they just go into existing patient records and tag on a new diagnosis? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. Um, this this will require a serious investigation. Yeah, uh, it may require an act of Congress. Okay, so um, this is it where needs, it needs to take place. You you don't I, have access to that without a, a security clearance, and that's, that's the only right. way to find out, right? That's right. Okay, and and I have I have my beliefs, I have my suspicions, mm-hmm. but some of that I, I just don't want to say out loud yet. Fair right? enough. I, um, I, I'm going to keep a few facts to myself. Okay. So, um, walk us through, you, you found this, 
these increased rates that didn't match up with the snapshots that have been published year after year after year. And then what did you, what did you do from that point going forward? Uh, <laughs> well, it changed the way that I thought about the data. You know, previously I was, I was taking all the data that they had mined from, you know, uh, hundreds of queries and, you know, putting them in spreadsheets and saying, okay, do we see a trend here? What does this look like? You know, do we see safety signals? Um, you know, how does it look before and after the glitch? Is there any way to disprove the glitch? But what I decided and realized at the end was that the glitch was real and it may have even been planted there. And um, this took me a while to figure out because I wasn't made aware of it until March, but um, there was a, a court case in Florida on February 15th uh, one of the whistleblowers, um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, right. uh, she was defending the Navy SEALs against a mandate. And um, the DOD uh, in, in court, they didn't bring an expert witness. They were admonished by the judge for that. But they brought with them a four-page document that they handed to her that said, oh, there was a server migration in August. And that's when the glitch was introduced. But there were all kinds of things wrong. I mean, this document, first of all, it was unsigned. Okay. There was no chain of custody of the information. That is a no-no mm -hmm. in the U.S. military. I mean, that's a no-no by good practices, period. But especially in the U.S. military, that does not happen. Okay. Um, but it did say that there was a server migration in August. And I believe them. And in fact, it, you know, when you think about it, the, the May 2021 MSMR, which is where we see the changes suddenly show up, uh, the, these MSMRs seem to be report, um, published on a delay. Okay. Like and the, the, I just want to clarify for the audience here, the MSMR, those are the snapshots that you can find and download online. Is that right? They include the snapshots. Okay. They're, they're basically, they're like a, a trade magazine for, you know, doctors in the military or medical researchers right. in the military. Okay. And uh, that's one of the things that they do is, is show snapshots of that database. Um, so yeah, the, the May, 2021 MSMR, which is where we see the snapshots change uh, that was probably published in July of 2021. Okay. And so this server migration takes place immediately after. Okay. And so there's, you know, there's something a little suspicious about that, right? That would be yeah. a great moment to wipe fingerprints. Sure. You know, wh whoever changed records or added records or whatever they did, um, maybe they even re-indexed the database to make it even harder to detect that records were added. Right. That's a possibility. Uh, I see. I see. Um, and but, you know, what, you're what you're referring to, there's, um, Typically, you'll have a number, an index number, that's a kind of a key that gets sequentially um, increased as records are added to the database. And what what Matthew's saying by re-indexing, they basically redid that number, so you wouldn't be able to tell all these records at the end that were, you know, back here in the previous history weren't added in sequential order. It, it would it would really highlight something's up here. So it, right. it's, it would be like if you had a, a paper notebook and a bunch of, of records from, you know, the previous year were in the last few pages is essentially, I think, a good analogy. Exactly. Yeah. And it would have been, you know, hundreds of thousands of records. Okay. You know, it would not have been a small number. It would have been very easy to tell that they had been added at the end. Um, so suddenly there's a server migration in August. And this glitch is introduced and nobody notices it until the whistleblowers are running queries in January and the, and the DOD says, oh, wait, there's a glitch. But, let, you know, let's take a look at this. Let, let's consider this. This is one of the most this is one of the world's most important databases it is. for the people who run it. This database is used every single day to evaluate troop readiness. 
the people at the top know the numbers. You know, they are given daily reports, weekly reports. They're given all the kinds of things where they can just look and say, okay, we could send 18,000 troops halfway across the globe immediately to do X, right? Troop readiness is like, it's, if there's a religion in the military, it's a key part of that religion. Everybody is checking boxes every single day to say, I'm, I am, you know, able to be deployed or not. So it, it is, it's hard to believe that there would be a glitch that would last five months without anybody noticing. But there was a second particular use of this database, which is that the DOD is part of the CDC's vaccine safety technical work group. Okay. That means that, that the DMED should have been used constantly for checking safety signals by the CDC. And this would be a harder, and, and you know, one thing to, to notice is, they basically never published numbers from the DMED. The CDC hasn't. There was one time that I found that they had a report that mentioned the DMED, and that was when they finally fessed up to the myocarditis issues in June. Okay. Though I can tell you this, from the 2021 reports, there's no reason that signal should not have been spotted in January. You know, January yeah. was like the biggest of the first few months of the year. It didn't get bigger until the, the mandates out in July, August, and it really shot up again. You know, and you mentioned that we've been looking at the CDC's studies and kind of looking at their data and that that they're self-publishing and it's always their own internal studies that they're performing. And when you compare it to Israel, when you compare it to the UK, when you compare it to these other heavily vaccinated populations, there's always like a 20 to 30 percent delta uh, to the benefit of the vaccine's effectiveness or that it's working or so forth that I've seen when you compare it to these other places. And I've raised that point to my audience over and over and over again. Somebody's lying here. If they're all getting the same product, they, there's no explanation for this. Somebody's lying. Is it all of these other countries or is it the CDC? So now that you're sitting here saying that we have this essentially fraudulent data set that's been used by the CDC, it, it, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Um, I think that, that they, they had to do it in a particular way. It, you know, when you think about the way it would have been done, it fits what I think is the answer to this puzzle. Um, they would not have wanted to constantly fabricate 2021 data. That's too intensive of a process, too easy to get caught up in, in what you're doing. It's easiest to just not publish the comparisons from 2021 to 2016 through 2020. Okay. And then later, just at one time, change the, the prior data from 2016 to 2020, bump that up, make 2021 data look not so big. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I first saw this, you were on with uh, Charles Rixley on GigaOM. And I, I, we played a few excerpts from that and we've got those slides. We can go to them whenever you like. Um, they literally, I mean, it's so Orwellian what they've done. They went back and rewrote history. It's like, you know, when they were cutting the chocolate ration 5% and they just rewrote history to say, oh no, it's not being cut. You're getting 25 grams increase. And it's, it's so amazing that the, this is going on uh, in today's military and I think we've got some difference of opinion here. I think I think we both agree that there's probably some national security implications. Um, my perspective on it, and I, I want to hear your opinion as well, 
is that uh, first off, I think we're at war with the CCP. They've deployed this bioweapon, unleashed it on us. I, I mean, it's this get, you get into the whole uh, Project Defuse that Charles focuses on, and there's U.S. elements of it as well. It's hard to really say exactly who's pushed this out. But my thought is the military is coming around to the understanding that the, the – our, our troop readiness has really been decimated and it's going to get worse in the coming years. And this whole thing with Teresa Long, I heard her, I think it was at one of these hearings where she testified that her commanding officer told her not to testify. So she got on the stand and when they asked her a question, she said, I've been ordered not to testify, which is absolutely witness tampering. And like, I haven't seen where, whoever gave that order is, is being brought in for a court martial. So I almost feel like there's, there's a, they can't acknowledge it because it's such an important issue for national security. But what are your thoughts on that? Uh, My thoughts get complicated here. Okay. Um, They're definitely up for debate, but here's my belief. My belief is that uh, the spike protein was a DOD project. Okay. Yep. That's my belief. Um, I believe that uh, the entire BSL-4 lab built in Wuhan was was intentional obfuscation. Okay. Uh, you know, their, their chief scientist was trained, you know, by uh, Barrick and uh, yep. yeah, and Western scientists. Yeah. Um, it was it was you know, France who went over there and built that. You know, who was it? Who was it? Who was the French uh, health minister? It was um, a woman named Marisol Touraine. And she, you know, where did she wind up? She wound up, uh, she left her position as health minister of France um, after ushering in the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology's new, you know, the, the very first BSL-4 on mainland China. Okay. Very first one, right? That the, that the French intelligence agency said, don't do this. <laughs> don't go build in this lab. Wow. Um, she left and she became the head of UNITAID. And UNITAID, by the way, that's the organization that gave Andrew Hill $40 million in research funding. And Andrew Hill is the guy who pulled the plug on Tess Lowry, uh, who was publishing, um, you know, they, they were they were both supporting ivermectin in meta-analysis, and then he backed down. Okay, yeah. It, you and know, there was a famous video at this point that's out that, you know, where, where he's, it, it, it sounds like he's just fessing up, you know, like they control what I what I have to say right now. Wow. Wow. You know, and Jicky, um, I talked to him quite a bit behind the scenes and he thinks that Barrick's role in this was really to sort of hide the fingerprints of the genetic inserts to the spike and that, uh, she was kind of like the, the production line manager that just produced it and supposedly released it via dry ice by a, a vent in the Wuhan, uh, in the, in that fish market or whatever it was during the whole Olympic games and so forth to, to spread it. But there's certainly, and I've been, I've been trying to make the point with, uh, with my audience based on what you and Charles uh, talked about on GigaOM, all of these projects that are being couched as defensive with live attenuated viruses, they're, they're not viruses that exist. So they go out, they create the bioweapon in order to create the cure. And really they're just, they're, they're, biological weapons programs disguised as uh defensive uh measures and they're just they're not 
Yeah, and and I have a different view than Jicky. Jicky's a, okay. a great researcher. I, I'd love to be able to discuss this um, with Jicky one day. But um, my you know my belief is that no, um, SARS Cove was traveling around the world substantially prior to okay. you know, the middle of 2019. I think that actually the Evali Vapi illness that was in the U.S. in the middle of 2019, I think that's COVID. Oh, I think that's right. part of the reason where we're seeing uh, fewer smokers later on is because it was easier uh, to infect for the smokers to be infected earlier um, when there was less of it out there. Because what, you know, what this is, is it's a coronavirus. You know, we all have coronaviruses just all over the place around us. Right. Um, they're, you know, they're just fine. Or, our, you know, our bodies know how to handle them. Um, it, what you have are all these different coronaviruses that are all genetically different, right? Mm-hmm. They're in a swarm, you know, we pass them around in swarms. And what happened is you have this, this novel one, what's really novel is just the spike protein. Other than that, it's, it's a coronavirus, just, just one of the gang. And it gets into this, this swarm, this quasi species swarm. That's actually the technical term that scientists talk about this in. And it gets in there and it becomes a greater and greater part of the swarm. But, you know, the first people who would be infected by it would be the people most, you know, most infectable, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, uh, maybe uh, a body might fight off some of the swarm, but that part less. So it began to grow and grow as a part of the swarm. And, you know, there, there's a couple of pieces of evidence that I'll throw out there. One is more DMED evidence. Okay. In 2019, we see rates of illness. Rates of illness were going down and down and down and down from 2012 onward, probably the result of bringing home troops. Then suddenly in 2019, there's a pop. There's a pop in the in the uh, medical in the uh, armed forces medical database, right? And again, you know, there's there's very little reason. Uh, these are all, you know, very. Um, Is that what you're what you're referencing? Yeah, the the middle okay. dot of those three. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh no, no, actually, no. Um, it would be the dot after the three that are in the box. Yeah, you can go back to that to the one you're at. This yeah, one? that one right there. Yeah. So in the in on the right, mm-hmm. um, you see. Yeah, in the box is 2016, 2017, 2018. And to the right of that is 2019. 2019 was the first actual up year. You know, on the left, I think you see the true numbers before they manipulated the database. Yes. You can see rates of illness going down, down, down. 2019 was above 2018, objectively, everywhere you look before and after the, the you know, database manipulation. I think they raised up 2016 through 2020, all approximately the same amount all at once. Okay. And that's, that's essentially, it's not that, you know, we've got this hill sort of shape over here on the left in the previous snapshots. And then you can kind of see the last three years are below that. But when we move back, that's where they've been shifted up and then it goes higher. Well, I guess higher in 2019. Okay. And then back down in 2020. In fact, without the, the extra bump that they added, as of the 2021 MSMR, uh-huh. I think that if there had been, you know, a, a way to see where 2020 would have been, I think it will be actually the, the least um, injurious or, you know, least amount of illness in the U.S. military ever in modern recorded history. Wow. There was no health crisis. During, yeah, during the no, pandemic, of course. Right, right. There was, there was no need for any kind of a mass vaccination campaign amongst this very healthy cohort. Okay. <laughs> It, it's it's laughable, right? I mean, it's like, and people say, okay, well, they took precautions. Well, that just means that their regular job is a greater risk than coronavirus. And that's the risk that they accept when they join the armed forces. Right. I agree. 
Okay. So I, I, I think, I think that, that ultimately the, what's partially what, what's so tricky about this is that I think that the DOD is responsible for the spike protein. Okay. I, and I, I, I personally think that it was already, you know, going around the world and it, it's in the West where we see it in animals. They never found it in animals around like the, the, you know, Wuhan. wet food market. Okay. But we find it in the white tailed deer. We find it in the minks. We find it in all kinds of animals in the West. So do you think that it was something that just escaped by accident or do you think this was something that was intentionally released or we don't know what's your hard to say. Um, okay. My personal opinion though, is that this, I call it the pandemonium. Yeah. You know, people call it pandemic or whatever. Um, I, I think that the, the pandemonium is more important than the pandemic itself. I think that, yeah, it was probably planned. I think that, um, you know, really, when, when you go back to the roots, when you uh, have you ever read uh, James Rickard's Currency Wars? I I've followed James Rickard for a long time. I don't think I've read that book of his, but yeah, that was a, a bestseller in 2012, and he talked about like um, Pentagon war games, financial war games okay. that took place after um, you know the the TARP uh, bailout of the mortgage bond market. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I was a bond trader. So I have, I have a lot to say about that, but okay. we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll stay fast forwarded. I think that that was a point at which the, um, the Pentagon saw world trade breaking down and they saw the currency becoming, you know, uh, breaking down. I, I think the dollar is, is dying yes. and, and they recognized an upcoming currency war. And in that book, um, there are several things they didn't take into account. They didn't know what Bitcoin was yet. It was published okay. in 2012, but during these war games, they didn't know what Bitcoin was yet. And, and Rickards probably didn't the day that he published the book either. But um, we, we can see several moves that have taken place that were predicted in the book, such as uh, China, uh, such as uh, sorry, Russia dumping U.S. treasuries in 2018 and starting to accumulate gold. Right. So there's no way that that the West, when they put sanctions on Russia during this Russia-Ukraine war, there's no way in the world that we didn't know that Russia was about to go golden commodities to back the ruble mm-hmm. right that that was a that was an understood move in 2009 <laughs> and, and i so. i think they're you know they're trying to they know the dollar is reaching end of life they're gonna have to go to something else crypto is the wild card because it's this threat that has never existed to fiat because there's just never been an alternative to state sanctioned money previously i mean you have gold and silver and so forth, but not very practical in a digital world. And, uh, you know, I, I think we'll probably see their, their CBDCs at at least attempt to roll out this summer because inflation is just going to get away from them and there's no way they're going to, uh, you know, make this thing work and, and just keep kicking the can down the road. I I've been watching since 2008, like going, I, I can't believe there's we're still here with a dollar that's still going it, it just amazes me the way they've just been able to keep on on trucking you know yeah and it seems like politically there's this there's a commitment to paying off you know those on your side mm-hmm. as quickly as possible while the currency is inflating and the only way to, for them to do that is to is to come up with a way to be able to inflate the currency even faster but to put it in the hands of people who might otherwise be getting angry already or rioting in the streets. Yeah. Yeah. So massive wealth transfers. They've already gone on, but they're going to, they're going to be ratcheted up. Absolutely. 
Okay. Uh, where do you want to go with the de- with the data? What else do you want to cover related to it? Yeah. So um, here's another indication that the data is fake. Okay. Um, there was a big change as of the, you know, the snapshots published in 2021. They're different than the snapshots published in 2020 or 2019, um, so on and so on. Um, but there's one particular diagnostic category that was updated again a second time, right? It, when, when we were running queries in, um, or, or rather the, the whistleblowers were running queries and handing them off to me in, uh, in, in February, um, the blue bars you can see the blue bars were the same as the red bars, which were the most recent MSMR publications for all but one category. And that's the one on the left. You know, and, and I've got these for, for like 20, I've got 20 different pictures. You know, they're the okay. same everywhere except for the R codes. Those are the ones on the left. And what those R codes represent are signs, symptoms, and ill-defined conditions and inconclusive laboratory results. Now that's a mouthful, but what does that mean? It means that the doctor doesn't know what's causing the illness. Right. And and we've covered so many stories of the vaccine injured who they go in and uh, they're basically being gaslit by their doctors telling them, oh, it's definitely not the vaccine because they've given that to so many people with the assurance that it's safe and effective. So they're not willing to look at that and they, they send them home with diagnoses of stress, of you have a psychological disorder. It, it, they, they're just completely unwilling to look at the vaccine as the source cause here. So you get all of these sort of strange, we don't know why this is happening to you, take two Tylenol and come back if it gets worse, sort of uh, diagnoses from these doctors. Yeah. Can you put uh, slide 39 up? Yes, sir. Let me see. So, yeah, they, they, I think that they altered the 2016 through 2020 data, bumped it all up, and we can see that on those page two graphs that they've got there. Um, but when you look at slide 39. I, yeah, hold on. I'm trying to – I can't – let me go. Okay, right there. Yeah. The gray down at the bottom were the original numbers published in MSMR's with the exception of 2020 that hadn't really been you know, published yet. Um, the red are the newly published as of the last MSMR, R code numbers. And some of these I had to impute, you know, just changed them up or down according to the same rates as the others. That's why some of the dots are filled in. But then the, the blue are what the uh, post glitch queries look like as of the middle of February. Okay. Right. And this is the only category where the blue don't match the red. And these are raised up again and they're raised up massively. An average of 46.6% from 2016 through 2020. So highly likely this is the dumping ground where all of these records went. And this is what they use to essentially raise the floor, the noise floor, to make what's happening in 2021 look like it's normal. Is that right? Look normal. Right. And, and okay. you know, it, it kind of, it sucks away the vaccine injuries and illnesses from the rest of the categories. And it means that even though they, they only had one shot at, at changing the numbers for the 2016 through 2020, uh-huh. for, uh, at, you know, as of the 2021 MSMR, because that is a snapshot that is published, that is in print. 
right? Right. They have one shot at that, but what do they do later when more comes in? You know, maybe they told the physicians, you know, just put stuff in the R codes. Uh, don't yeah. even, don't even try that hard. Right. And the, you know, we already have some signals. We have signals for, you know, myocarditis and pericarditis. Um, but there may be a lot of other signals and those signals may be hidden by the fact that instead of calling these, um, you know, cases, uh, you know, neurological conditions or, you know, neoplasms or whatever, it may just be that um, they're, they're in some R code that otherwise represents that same illness. Okay. But is categorically um, the etiology is not understood. Hey, hey, Matthew, um, I think Zoom is going to kick you out if you just join back in. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> he will be back, hopefully, in just a second. Uh, yeah, I got to figure out this. I haven't used Zoom in quite a while. He should be joining back, hopefully. Let me just restart it here. And we'll hope that he joins in just a second. This is really fascinating. I'm so glad we've got him to sort of walk us through this and break down. It's every bit of um, kind of as bad as we thought it was. And, you know, these doctors all have the incentive. They're all part of the mass formation. This is why they don't want to look at like uh, what's happening to these people because they've taken part in administering all of these shots and think about all of the people that they told, yeah, yeah, these are safe and effective. So when the top brass comes in, sorry, Matthew, that was my fault. I was trying to warn you and we ran out of time, uh, bring you back up here. There we go. Okay. Um, so when they go in and tell these doctors, just put them in the R codes category, I, I think it's the cognitive dissonance and the mass formation that just says, okay, yeah, I, I mean, because I've, I talked to so many nurses that are awake to what's going on and, and the staff that they're working with just refuses to acknowledge that um, the vaccines are playing any role in it. And like they really, they, 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 I don't know that they believe that that's the case, but they refuse to acknowledge that it could be otherwise. Can you hear me, Matthew? Uh oh, Matthew, do I have you? Oh, hold on. Nope, you don't have audio. Um, let me see here. I don't have audio for you for some reason, and I'm not sure why. It shouldn't. It should be fine on my end. Um. Oh, here we go. My bad. Okay, can you there hear me go. now? There we go. My apologies. I don't know if you heard what I was just saying there, but I was just walking through sort of the doctor's mindset and why they would go along with, you know, being told, hey, just dump it all in the R codes category because they're part of the mass formation in a, in a large extent and ex experiencing cognitive dissonance and don't want to believe that they've taken part in what they have. So, okay, let's go back to, I'll, you want me to put the slide back up? Sure. Um, and Here. yeah, I, I guess the last thing to say is, is, you know, that right there is the best indication. You know, we know 100% the past data changed, the snapshots changed. Okay. Right. That's yep. very suspect, but this right here, this is exactly the category. If, if you expected one to be fiddled with further in a way that would hide vaccine injury and illness. And you know, when you look at the numbers here, 
You know, these are ambulatory reports and you can have several per injury or illness, but this is likely, likely covering up tens of thousands or at least 10,000, but maybe tens of thousands of vaccine injuries and illnesses. Right. Without, when they do take the snapshot, without tying it into those specific buckets, is that, is that true? Because they're all going to be in this R codes? Um, the R codes would be one of the diagnostic categories okay. that they would publish in the MSMR, but just one. It would be like, you know, two thirds of the way down the page and, and your, your eyes wouldn't even really you know, move to it. So we would, we would see the blip, but, uh, you know, it could be, it's, it's, I guess it's their best chance at sort of hiding what's happening. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. Wow. Uh, what else do you want to cover from these slides here? Um, that's really up to you. Um, you know, there are a lot of you know directions we could go with the discussion, depending on how long you want to be on it. But, you know, one of the interesting things that I saw on slide 36 was, according to their data, there is no increase in the incidence of Bell's palsy. Okay. <laughs> you know, if, if, if we believe their data, there is no increase in the incidence of Bell's palsy. And I ran the numbers using, you know, some outside data sources and just going, okay, you know, what do we know about the rates of, of Bell's palsy and how much they've increased? And I think I came up with like, you know, we should see something like a four to one ratio, you know, from, uh, you know, 2021 to prior years. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't see it in 2020. And, and this is, this is true for a lot of these, um, these injuries and illnesses that are debated. Is this COVID or is it the vaccines? Yeah. Right. We don't see a bump in myocarditis in 2020. We don't see a bump in pericarditis in 2020. We don't see a bump in these neurological conditions, you know, GBS or, or um, Bell's palsy in 2020. But for most of them, we see it in 2021, but every now and then we pick one out and and it's like, it's like none of it even existed, but you know, I mean, how many of us have not talked to somebody who, you know, they or their family member, you know, had a case of Bell's palsy after being vaccinated this past year. Uh, yeah, the, the governor of uh, California, supposedly, according <laughs> to Steve Kirsch, he's right. He had uh, Bell's palsy or, or GBS, one of the two. I forget which. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, there was some members of the news media, the, uh, news media, somebody in, in Australia, somebody in Canada. Um, I don't even know how many I've seen, but um, I mean, you know, clearly. Clearly, it's happened. Well, we should see higher, you know, I, some kind of a bump. And, and we talked to uh, John O'Looney, who's the funeral director in Milton Keynes over in the United Kingdom. And that was one of the things that he told us is during the pandemic, when everybody was supposedly dying, he he didn't really see it. He saw there was this short period where he was going to the nursing home every night and they were you know, this is when they're burning through like 10 years supply of midazolam inside of a few months. And he was picking up bodies every night, some of them still warm. Uh, and then, you know, outside of that, it was, it was all quiet until the vaccine started rolling out. And that's when he started seeing the injuries coming in, in, you know, greater and greater numbers, younger and younger age groups. So it's, it's pretty clear I think what's happening to the people who are willing to take a look. So, okay. Where do you want to, you take us wherever you want to go. Cause I, I, 
Oh goodness. You've um, been looking at this data in depth and this whole situation. Yeah. You know, one thing I would say is, is I would invite people to take a look for yourself. Um, okay. You know, the, a lot of these slides I, you know, I've left, uh, you know, slide 25, I've left the, um, the URL up there. It's, it's a little bit hard to navigate health.mil. You could go there and look all day and not find these reports. Uh, it, it's not even down like the logical pathway of like, you know, sub menus that you would think you would go to. Um, but uh, you may just be able to, um, you know, Google uh, medical surveillance monthly reports and find them that way. Or, um, you know, on, on slide 24, you know, um, you can see where I've just put, you know, these publications side by side. Okay. And, you know, if you look at the 2016 and the 2018 numbers, well, they're just different. <laughs> and and you can look through as many of these past May reports as, as you want, you know, and you won't see the ambulatory reports jump like this. Yeah. And here's another piece of this. These are ambulatory reports. These are not hospitalizations. The hospitalization numbers didn't change. So we have like a, a sudden change in ambulatory reports per hospitalization, like doctor's visit per hospitalization. That's a little odd, right? Yeah. Like, like that, that, that alone would need some explaining. Yeah. Well, what do you think is happening there? Do you have any idea? Yeah. I suspect that in, uh, in the CDC and, you know, when they were detecting safety signals that they, that they hooked up like automated reports to look at ambulatory reports, okay. you know, anything like, you know, that's where you're going to see even like, you know, modest, uh, A's, uh, adverse events. Uh-huh. Um, but in hospitalizations, you would only see stuff that is Severe. serious and hospitalized. You could even have a few serious that aren't hospitalized. Right? right. So they would have wanted to look at the ambulatory reports and hospitalizations would be much more difficult to fake. You know, now you were talking about data that there might be some sort of check back to. Yeah, more the, easily, the more hospital would have least. records that could then be verified and show that there was fraud. If, if yeah, there, there may even be some other system that that collects. Right, it may even be like just the medical billing. Okay. Uh, you know, could be matched or something like that. So, um, I, you know, they they just changed the, the ambulatory reports, and I think that's what the safety signals were likely designed to detect. And, um, and when you say changed, um, you're talking about the records that we suspect were added in to bump up the previous year's numbers. They only right. did that for the ambulatory reports, not for the hospitalizations. That's right. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, like, you know, every, every way that you check, you know, and you, you can kind of thumb through it all day and like think about different ways, like, you know, is this consistent with the hypothesis of hiding the vaccine data? And everything that seems to have changed is consistent with it, right? And it correlates with all the other data from other countries that are heavily vaccinated. It's paints a very clear picture. Um, now, I know like you've been providing this data to Tom Rents and, and I think some other folks. What do you know what's being done with it? Like where they're trying to go with it? Is there is anything happening now that this has been uncovered or is they are they just sweeping it under the rug? Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I'd have to sit in their office to know. Um, I have okay. to say this part of the reason why I started making noise myself uh-huh. is because it seemed like they weren't right. And, and maybe they're using this information. Uh, strategically in lawsuits uh, in ways that I don't know about. Okay. Um, but but here here's I, I was very much bothered by the way uh, the information was handled. 
I was told that, you know, that the moment I reported this, I was told, Oh, this is great. You know, this is, uh, this is awesome. You know, we're going to do something with this. Um, you know, days later, nothing like a meeting had been called. And then as I would talk to various of the whistleblowers, I would find they, that they didn't know what I had found. Right. Okay. So nobody held a meeting. There's no like sort of leadership to say, okay, this is how the story has changed. This is what we know now. Right. Yeah. And so I started reaching out to, you know, to talk to people, but the interesting thing was I was never able to get more than like one person in a room at a time. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, well, or on, on the phone or in a room. And, um, you know, oddly, uh, once I started sharing things, um, you know, I, I was given the go ahead to write about the story and like on March 12th and, um, like almost everyone that I presented this to with the exception of a very small number of people in a, in just like two little circles, everybody was like, Oh wow. This is like the, like one of the biggest stories of the pandemic. Like this is, it's obvious and it's huge. You know, it, it, it's of such great magnitude and it's a, a national security issue. Like this, yes. we have to go after this. But, um, you know, I, I was told, uh, you know, seven weeks after I, I found the information, um, you know, oh, you know what? You were right. We should be making this a bigger priority. And then, you know, four weeks later, you know what? You're, you're right. We should be filing FOIAs. And then four weeks after that, actually, I'm passing off the FOIAs to another lawyer and, you know, so on and uh -huh. so on. And, and if, you know, I, I guess no FOIAs have been filed, but, you know, and, and I've started to contact other lawyers mm -hmm. to, you know, to push for FOIAs to be filed. But um, I, you know, I talked with um, a former federal FOIA officer who helped, you know, design a strategy for how the FOIAs would be filed and, um, you know, um, shared that with, with multiple lawyers. Uh, so hopefully we will see somebody, you know, digging into whether or not there were communications over this. And, okay. and this is, I mean, this is gigantic. It's huge. It's, it's a giant it hole in the armor because if, if there was anything like knowledge shared between the CDC and exactly. the DOD about this, then we have the CDC on the hook. Exactly. Now, does, does the CDC on the hook put pharma on the hook? You know, um, it, do we have some of the shared intellectual property over here? You know, would that eliminate the liability shield or would it simply just open the door to um, people saying, okay, there's a vote of no trust for the CDC or maybe even the CDC slash FDA for any sort of regulatory purposes here? You know, and 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 does it uh, does it make a lot of orders unlawful orders? Right, in the military, you you know, it, it's a strict chain of command, but mm -hmm. you do not have to follow an unlawful order. Right, that that's mm -hmm. where the line ends. Mm -hmm. Right, that's where you're not protecting the Constitution anymore. Otherwise, you follow the chain of command. Um, right. If if these are are if orders like you know mandates are coming down that um, that are being made unlawfully for for any of a number of reasons then, um, you know, a, a lot of those people have been dismissed from the military. Maybe they get, you know, put back in their positions. Um, maybe there are people in the military who were part of something like a conspiracy to hide information. You know, whoever was handling the DMED, I mean, that, that's somebody who needs to be investigated. Where up the chain was an order given. If, if this goes to the president, then are all vaccine mandates unlawful orders that were given? You know, how much does that change everything that's going on and everything that we're doing. And the people who um, refused this and were dishonorably discharged, I mean, sure, they can't work for the government. Okay, no big deal in my mind, but they're essentially treated as felons and they're unable to own firearms. They lose all of their uh, benefits and so forth and medical care and 
I, it's really a travesty. Is that the case for a dishonorable discharge? Yeah, I, I asked the question uh, on Twitter to to my audience because I, you know, my my thought was, okay, so you get dishonorably discharged. What does that really mean today? Because if I was hiring somebody, knowing how corrupt the system is today, it wouldn't weigh that heavily on me. And they're like, oh no, Sam, they take away all your benefits. You don't have access to the VA anymore. You uh, cannot own a firearm. You essentially become a felon uh, over that dishonorable discharge. So it is a big deal to, to these guys that have been kicked out. Yeah, well, let's get that reversed. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, I hope that, so, you know, I, I wish that I could do all of this myself. Mm-hmm. I actually asked, um, I, I was, um, uh, gosh, last month sometime, I don't know if it was a month and a half ago, I was, I was in a meeting with uh, several dozen other researchers and I said, um, you know, look, you know, I've done this much. Is there anybody else who wants to shepherd this home? You know, I, you know, there's only so much that I would know about how to interface with the military right. or interface with the government over this. I'm not a lawyer. Um, you know, some, somebody who can Former shepherd Jag this. Or, yeah. Something like that. That really knows. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I'm making noise. My, my primary goal in making noise is for, enough people to know that enough people can step forward and say, you know, I will, I'll take this. And, and hopefully like my hope is that, um, Rince's team files FOIAs mm-hmm. and that then other lawyers file FOIAs. We've already seen during the pandemic, multiple FOIA requests return different sets of information, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so I, I personally think, I think that would be a great idea. I hope to see, you know, Rince FOIAs out, you know, maybe, maybe they've already been filed. And I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they weren't somewhat recently, but, um, you know, hopefully they've been filed. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, other people will. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a video of, I think it was rents and his team outside somewhere. And they, it was the first time that they had seen the DMED data, but it, it implicated that the, no, what was it? The FDA had seen this data. Um, there, do, 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 is this is this ringing any bells with you? I I don't know. I, I didn't see anything prior to January twenty fourth at, at the Senator Johnson hearing. Okay, I um, I can't remember. I, maybe somebody in the audience can remember. Um, but I'm I remember a video, and it was maybe it'll come to me, but there was a certain um, name for the data set. It was a, no, it was a report that was put together by some kind of um, surveillance company that was then handed over to the FDA. So like, well, there, there are two databases. Uh, One's called the defense um, medical surveillance system. Okay. And that is where you have identi- like um, patient identifiable data. And then that gets passed to the DMED uh, with a de-identification process. Okay. So it may be that like, you know, you might hear of information from the DMSS and the DMED. It may even be said in one breath or one may be used in- instead of the other because essentially all the data is coming from the same place. Um, so I-, I don't know if that's possibly what you heard. This may have been like a... This was a, a separate company um, who had put together some kind of snapshot summary or something, and it 
it showed that really the FDA was aware of what was going on because, and again, this was, I don't know, at least I'm thinking six or eight months ago. And they were, they were getting, having it read over a cell phone and there was a video that was being made. Um, somebody will remember what this was, but, and, and I'll, I'll email it to you later if I, if I can find it. Um, I just want to throw out real quick, if anybody wants to jump on and ask Matthew a question on Twitter spaces, you can raise your hand and do that. Or if you have any questions in chat, you can throw those up. We've got, oh, oh no, let me not do that window. <laughs> we've got a bunch of questions uh, or, well, we've got one question here. Uh, think that, the, or comment, I guess, think that the military was designed to weaken the armed forces as we have potential problems on the horizon with China. And that's kind of my, uh, I, I agree with that. And I think that's sort of why we're seeing all of these weird things happening with Teresa Long and so forth. What, yeah. What's your thought? Actually, I'm, I'm going to jump in and say, um, I, I know that I'm in, in the minority right okay. now on this point of view, but I'm going to jump in and say, I don't think so. I think that um, okay. the China scare is actually trumped up. I'll mention this. I used to be in, um, I was an Asian bond trader on wall street. Um, I traded, um, you know, it was mostly Japanese bonds, but I always paid, you know, a lot of attention to China, obviously, because they're the 800 pound gorilla in the region. But, um, I, I think that, that there is enormous effort made to make China look like more of a menace than they are. When the truth is they are technologically dependent on the West, they get, you know, almost all R and D bleeding edge technology is created in the West. And I think that there's a sort of puppeteering and a game, a PR game. And, you know, it's, it's more than anything else. Maybe it's about government funding, but it, it should also be in people's minds that the bank is the military is the currency. And at a point at which something begins to fail, you should expect any and every game to be played. Okay. Yeah. Just to, to, to keep it going or to bring in the next system? What do you think? Yes. <laughs> Both? Yeah. Whatever, whatever well, they well, can or, get away or, with. Or, right. It's an or, right? Like uh-huh. we, we don't know exactly what that transition might be. And, and we don't even know if they know what it's going to be. They may just be, you know, trying to um, enact some form of a plan. And we don't know how benevolent that plan is. We don't know how controlling that plan is. We don't know, but I, I think that the, the story that China has this much control or economic power, um, I think it's a farce. They're still dependent on the dollar. You know, the moment we started fiddling with the dollar, you know, normally when, when we inflate, they inflate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they keep a strict currency peg because they're dependent on their trade with us even more than we're dependent on that trade with them. Right. And, yeah. um, and, and when you consider the, the shadow budgets for technology, like um, consider the Catherine Austin Fitz story, of how much money uh, was printed, you know, $20 trillion over like 17, 18 years yes. uh, by the Fed passed through the DOD. When you add that to their budget, you realize their budget's three, four times what they say it is. And when you, you compare that against the world, you know, suddenly the US military budget's like somewhere between 75 and 90% of all world military spending. We're way ahead of the rest of the world. Okay. And we control the oceans. Nobody's, you know, all the navies in the world combined aren't you know, do nothing to compete with the U S Navy. Yeah. You know, I, I brought this up in the last show and probably ticked off a lot of viewers with it, but, um, right now we're seeing this just absolute collapse of the, of the, uh, Democrat 
party and you know they're being exposed on all these fronts but at the same time you have maga and trump and so forth and this very uh pro-government pro-police pro you know authoritarian government mindset that's very pervasive in that community um I wonder if that's if they're almost going to be turned into sort of a controlled opposition to to push the agenda down the road. Uh, I have I have similar thoughts. I, I think everything is sort of backward in weird ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to tell a story that that sort of fits into that and may sort of fit into the entire like this is part of a giant currency war. Okay. Proposition. Right. Um, when I, in, in 2019, I briefly moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And because I was an economics mind, I was, um, I was asked to go meet uh, this guy who was running for Congress, um, uh, Weston Womp. Uh, I went and met him at a coffee house and, and we sat down and chatted for like two and a half hours. And he was interested in sort of like, you know, a, I don't know, some sort of an austerity position, like, hey, we need to do something about the debt. And I was like, I was explaining to him like, like this, this entire issue is not what you're made to think that it is. And I walked through him, you know, the whole, like, how did the Democrats take control of the entire financial system? And, you know, this is a story that, that most people really have no idea about. It happened through the mortgage crisis. It was already happening before because, you know, Wall Street in the 80s was maybe two to one Republican. But by the end of the 90s, it had pretty much flip flopped um, because of the, you know, um, the political leanings of the major universities and the fact that Wall Street began to really only hire from like four or five universities, you know, vast majority of their of their most serious hires, at least. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so so you have Wall Street beginning to flip. But then uh, during the mortgage bond crisis, and this is this is misunderstood. Um, the, the money was not printed in 2009. The money was printed all the way from 1995 to 2007. And here's how it was printed. It was shadow printed. It was printed as insurance, implicit insurance. The Fed said every time you roll up these bonds like Fannie, Fannie Mae, Sally Mae, every time you roll up these bonds, we will implicitly put an insurance premium on top that makes them AAA quality. And the Fed insured that. And oh. I, you know, my office even called, you know, Alan Greenspan on the phone and said, is this for real? You're, you're, you're backing these bonds. And, and his one word answer was yes. Wow. Right. Like that didn't so, even make it into the big short. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it, oh. Everything is propaganda. Everything Holy is propaganda. Shit. Like no, nothing in that story makes sense. Right. <laughs> the, the big short is just one more propaganda story. Okay. All that money was being printed. And at the higher levels of, of like bond trading, for instance, we all knew. Right. Okay. You know, you couldn't discuss it with anyone. You didn't have a conversation about it. Um, I wound up, uh, actually, no, I probably shouldn't go into some of these stories, but um, <laughs> I, I had, um, you know, family members of a, of, a, um, of a royal family actually pinned me down in Manhattan one night asking me questions about it because they didn't know, wow. right? Um, but, you know, what happened is, the, you know, these bonds were understood that they were going to blow up at some point in time and right. that the survivors would get the insurance premium. But if you, if you went bankrupt during the blast, you didn't get the insurance premium. Well, who didn't survive? Bear Stearns, right? Okay. And then, and the, like they the get, but all their, in their head, all their assets the one, got divvied up amongst the survivors though, right? That's the one that's planted in our heads by the media over mm -hmm. and over again. But here's who really didn't survive the entire community banking network. What do you mean by right? that? From, from 2005 to right up to the point at, at which catastrophe occurred, mm -hmm. um, there were high pressure salesmen being sent 
from the big Wall Street houses to the community banks all across the country. And this would be, in, this is flyover territory. This is where small business America lives. This is where Republican banking networks would be. And they were pressuring or possibly prying, maybe bribing, maybe extorting, who knows? Yeah. These banks into taking on large positions all of a sudden with these toxic assets. And so when those assets went bust, those banks just immediately went under. They okay. never received a bailout because they no longer existed. And this is how the Democratic Party financially overturned the Republican Party on Wall Street. Wow. Wow. And I, and I think this is this is playing out into the pandemic now. I think that that um, it may not have it may or may not have been understood that that moment was you know bringing about the end of the dollar. I think it probably was. I think all this probably started, you know, in plans going back to at least the 90s, but I think you can go back to at least the 70s. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that we have the, the upturning of the apple cart and we have a one party system from there forward. And it was already kind of a uniparty system, right? but not quite in the same way. You know, now you have almost all of the, the nouveau riche. Um, who who just pile into sort of one party and and most of the uh, intellectual talent being brought in from abroad, you know they see who's around them and what their political leanings are, and so you know they probably accept that pretty quickly, um, and and without maybe knowing much of the history or much of the real you know fine points of the politics. Um, so you know that's where we are now. We have a you know a technocratically tilted electorate and parties, and it's it's a real dangerous thing. Um, and, and, you know, it, as the water sloshes back and forth, I think the Republicans will rout the Democrats this coming right. November. I mean, there, there's no bag of tricks that the Democrats could pull at the moment. Um, yeah, but, you know, what, what is it that we'll really see on the other side? You know, how much control is over there and where does that control come from? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, we've had a couple questions come in. One about the data. Uh, Jose is asking, do the military ambulatory clinics have billing data for the patient visits? Is that a, a something that you've looked at to try and match up and identify the fraud or maybe a FOIA request? I, I wouldn't, know how to, wouldn't know how to look at it if okay. there is. This is, this is I mean, we, we need a congressional investigation, period. Yeah. Okay. Is Ron Johnson, are you able to get an audience with him? I've or? talked with his people. Okay. Uh, with, uh, within the last few days, I hope that they you know, really push forward with what I've given them. Okay, good. And then some, I know the answer to this one, but uh, Crypto Crank is asking, does the data have vets or reserves included? And that's a no. These are only active duty as far as I understand, right? That's right. Okay. And he's also asking uh, for the bonds, what's the DTCC and are the bonds taken out on individual Americans at birth and traded? I think this is the whole birth certificate theory. I don't know if you want to get into that or not. You're welcome to pass. I, I don't know the story. So, okay. Okay. Just, just to mention, uh, I, I did leave wall street in 2003. You know, okay. I have a lot of connections and I keep track of a lot of things, but not necessarily, you know, the, the day-to-day -day workings. I don't have that much time. Okay. Okay. And Jose is just confirming as well. Uh, yes, no more community banks in my area, only credit unions. So, yep. Wow. The credit unions are still good guys for the most part. Yeah. You know, I've talked about Ripple and XRP and what they're doing with removing friction from the finance system. And I think their technology really stands to 
uh, eliminate the need for the tier one banks. You know, the reason they exist is because of the friction and the fact that uh, running these correspondent banking networks are very expensive. And so there's companies like Temenos that are the sort of back-end software that plugs into some of these smaller banks that's plugged into RippleNet that's going to give them all of the same capabilities. And I think that we're looking at a very different world as we go through this sort of hyperinflation of the dollar. They roll out the new one. The people don't trust it. And and it just keeps pushing more and more people to, to start using crypto. And uh, the, at some point, the government, lo- the state loses the power to print and coin money. And then how do they fight their endless wars? How do they do these, um, you know, these bribes and the trillions of dollars going out for COVID or whatever the, the new thing is, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to throw out something that uh, I've researched a little bit that people should be aware of is that there is some sort of change happening behind, um, you know, behind the curtains with um, mortgage registry. There's something called the Mortgage Electronic Electronic Registry System, MERS. It was created, uh, if I understand correctly, by the same people who run the Intercontinental Exchange. Um and, and those, those are the most competent exchange and clearinghouse builders, you know, in uh, the financial markets right now. Um, but, you know, they, they had somebody, I guess the CEO was, was part of Trump's inner circle. So, you know, they've been at, at um, around the, the top level of politics pretty consistently over the past few years. My understanding is they created this MERS system and almost nobody's talking about what it does. But previously, you could go to your county courthouse and find out who owns any property. Mm-hmm. And that may no longer be the case. It may be that some of these are being registered um, as quickly as possible on this new system. And it may be that that, that obscures ownership of lots of property. And so there may good. be entire countries like Italy where people don't even know who owns the land that they're on, which creates you know further insecurity and problems and negotiating difficulties. But um, weirdly, when I tried to research this, the only interviews I found on it were from Alex Jones. Right. <laughs> yeah. As, as much fun as anybody might want to make fun of him every now and then he's the only person talking about yeah. some actually important topics. And yeah. uh, there were pretty good interviews too. If anybody wants to go watch them. I, I definitely would like to see those. Um, let me see for the military database. I think this is a talking to me. You covered an insurance guy for the military, the 40% increase in deaths. That was a private insurance company. I, I talked to a guy who was selling policies and they've had to uh, put a two-year hold on payouts. And he's having to tell his people that, no, no, don't worry. You'll get your money. These are poor people trying to cover funeral expenses um, and wow. they're not paying them for two years. I think what they're doing, they're setting up a system. They know what's coming, the insurance companies, because they're expecting this to 400 at to go to uh what is it uh 5x from where we are now by the end of the year um which is already a thousand percent increase in a lot of categories i think they're setting it up to where they have all these outstanding liabilities on their books of these policies that they have to pay out and it's going to get they're waiting for it to get so bad that oh we're going to go bankrupt if we pay all these we need a bailout and then the government can come in and cut them a check and they the, the, and the government's going to be incentivized to do that because printing some money and paying these people off is a lot easier than acknowledging 
that the insurance companies are going broke because everybody's dying. Right. Right. We're in this process of kicking every can down the road. Yeah. Every can has to be kicked to the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. However, that gets organized and it's been going on for decades, but um, you know, it's speeding up, right. The number of, uh, you know, just, things that break the market where you say there's really no longer a market. Like when the repo market uh, went bust, um, the solution was uh, one, um, you know, you have this de facto merger between uh, the, the treasury and the fed essentially as far as governance goes, yes. but then they handed $1.5 trillion each to just three banks, right? right. Citibank, uh, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, if I recall correctly. Um, of course that lets them front run pandemic bets and I bet they made a lot of money doing that, but but really, really, um, I think that was just sort of a de facto globalization of the entire banking system. Essentially, you know, when the repo markets failed, that meant that there was a race to the bottom. Somebody had advanced knowledge, I think, of, of the pandemic, and they began to pull their offer. And as the big banks pulled their offer, little littler banks were like, "Wait, something's up." Yeah. And there was a race to the bottom, right? Nobody trusts anybody else. So now, so long as that is just backstopped, and I think that backstop has grown to like you know, 1.3 trillion or something gross like that, right? Uh, we're already talking a substantial portion of the national debt. Um, but, you know, along with handing large amounts of money to to the biggest banks, essentially that is keeping bank to bank trust in check and only that, right? That means you have a de facto globalized banking system. Ships won't get through the Panama Canal without that trust, you need letters of credit between the banks that are trusted. They don't trust each other for repos. Why would they trust each other for a letter of credit? That is the only thing that is keeping world trade going right now. So we have, you know, a, a de facto globalized banking system. Wow. Okay. We've got someone on spaces, uh, Moss in New York, I think. Go ahead and unmute yourself and let us know if you have a question or a comment. Maybe Moss going once. Going twice. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not. I guess maybe he doesn't want to speak. Um, let me see. Oh, uh, one more thing. Three minutes. You're going to get disconnected again. Just reconnect back. If you want to keep going, we can, or we can wrap up here. Uh, there, I've got some questions here about the financial, because there's a lot of folks in my community that follow crypto and so forth. Um, I, I can read some of those. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Let me see. Uh, Ed Dowd on Getter and uh, talking about the uh, t- on Twitter talks about the insurance stuff. I'm I think that's talking about the housing policies. You know, you know Edward Dowd. He was a former BlackRock guy, I believe. Have you seen his videos? Yeah, I have. Um, I, I I don't know him. I haven't talked to him. Okay. Um, I actually worry about him a little bit just because uh, when he appeared on Bannon's War Room. Okay. It was part of a program called the big short. Okay. And that just seemed like a really irresponsible way to put it. Right. Like, like nobody that I've talked to who's like, you know, professional trader, like everybody that I've talked to had, had the exact same thought that I did, which is you tell a bunch of people that there's this short that could, you know, on the horizon and people suddenly like pile in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do, do these people know how to pick a stock option? Do they understand implied volatility or, you know, how to pick your expiration or how to rehedge? 99% of those people lost my, I, I bet tens of millions of dollars were lost Yeah, by people who didn't know how to make bets. And right after he spoke, right after he did that program, the big short implied volatility peaked, meaning that that's when options were most expensive ever in the history 
of those Pfizer options. And that really, that bugs the crap out of me. How do you right. Know? Like, no, like it, it's kind of like if doctors got on, uh, got on, um, you know, TV in March of 2020 and said, hydroxychloroquine is the magic cure here. Here's a bag of them, like a bag of candy and just handed them to you and didn't tell you stop after two. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, there's a Goldilocks zone. You know, you, if, if you take 10, if you take five times the amount you're supposed to, you might die day one. Right. You know, but even longer term, you know, you eat that bag in a few days and, you know, 20, 30 percent of people are going to die. Right. Like it, it, it feels like that on a level of, you know, you need to walk somebody through how they would short a market if they're going to short it. But these stocks are like barely down more than the S&P 500. Or that's what that's what that's what it was a week ago. Last time I looked, um, you know, the, the, there was no or the Nasdaq 500. I think I, I think I compared them to both. But, you know, certainly nothing where people who bought puts naked puts without rehedging and you know, how many people know how to rehedge, how many people know their, yeah. their, you know, the difference between implied volatility and, and how to balance Vega and, and you know, what is it that they really want to do with those options? It's hard so, to know really who to trust these days because it is, it's just like you're saying it, it there, there's so much deception and so many things, ploys out there and things at play at such and, deeper levels. I don't levels. even know if that's deception. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. mean, you know, he, he managed a large cap stock portfolio. That's, you know, it's more of a salesman's job than somebody who does any kind of quantitative, you know, it's a, it's quantitative a, lifting. It's about to drop you. Uh, when it does, uh, I'll bring okay. you back in. And then I want to talk about rounding the earth, your sub stacks and people there and so forth. And then we can wrap up with uh, whatever you like. So this okay. has been very enjoyable, and I think the audience has uh, learned a lot from it as well. I'm very yeah, remind glad. me to talk about Richard uh, Werner. Richard Werner? Werner. Okay. Yeah, uh, right. he's somebody. Uh-oh. Hold on, folks. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to find a new, um, well, let me go back to here. I think I'm going to have to find a new video conferencing because I guess Zoom is doing a 40-minute time limit now. I don't have enough guests on to really know the difference here. But, okay, Matthew will be back with us shortly, I hope. He should be able to drop back in. And maybe we'll give him just a minute. Uh, okay, so if you have any final questions, uh, ask them now. If you want to come join us on Twitter Spaces, uh, request the mic, and I will bring you in. Get your last comments in on um, Rumble or uh, on D Live. And Matthew, welcome back. Sorry about that. I'm gonna have to find a new video conferencing software. I was just oh, now what happened? <laughs> he just dropped. It shouldn't have. Let me make sure my meeting's, yeah, my meeting's still active. I don't know what happened there. Okay, there you are. I'm not sure what went on there, but, um, okay, you have a blog, Rounding the Earth. I've read several of the articles, uh, uh, Substack, uh, read several of the articles that you published. They're excellent. I would highly advise people go there. Are there any other, I know you're on Twitter. Are you on any of the other platforms, Truth Social or Gab? 
Um, I have a Gab account. Um, okay. I, uh, somehow I lost the password to it. And when it kicked me out the other day, I, I, I haven't been able to find the password. So oh. I didn't uh, record that one. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll be back. I don't know. It, it wasn't as, as lively as like a Twitter or something yeah, like that. It, um, there's no substitute for Twitter I, as much as I'd like there to right be. And, and I think, I think we just need to make the leap to web 3.0 and like cryptocurrency based you know, yes. I, I think that just needs to happen. We've got to get rid of all these intermediaries, but I, I think the government uh, through their regulatory regime and the whole SEC is really just a giant power grab for them to sort of rope everything in. And, oh, it's obviously everything's a security to them because they want the additional funding and being able to hand that out to their buddies and so forth. It's just, it, ne it never ends. It never ends. And uh, I think... You know, there's this Hayek quote from 1984 about uh, I've got it in one of my one of my screens here talking about removing the power to print and coin money from the government. We can't do it directly. It has to be through surreptitious means. Of course, crypto wasn't around when he said that, but uh, that is absolutely cryptocurrency. And I think that's the world we're heading into. And I think uh, at the same time with what's happening with the vaccine injuries. And I don't know if you follow Walter Chestnut with the amyloidosis and all the things that he's been talking about as well as a few others. Yeah. I think he has a very plausible mechanism. Yeah, me too. And, and I think it's going to affect a, a very large portion of the vaccinated. And that's just, we're going to see everything break down and then society have to rebuild in a smaller footprint than exists today. So, yeah, it, 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 you know, unfortunately it's a horror story, but uh, you know, for those who are healthy on the other side, um, one thing that I like to remind, I, I tell people I'm short-term pessimistic, but long-term optimistic, uh -huh. and there's really good reason to be long-term optimistic. Um, you know, everywhere you look at this, uh, at the exponential curve of growth, every time there's a hiccup, we come right back to where we were, you know, look at GDP through world war one, through World War II, look at GDP in Chile through um, Allende and then uh, Pinochet afterward. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter where you see the hiccups, so long as humanity survives, we you know we go right back to the same curve because it's the same dollar that you will invest in producing the next you know unit of increase. So it's always an exponential curve, and we go right back to it because we don't lose technology, we don't lose the knowledge. Well, and and I, I, another thing I think that's coming. And this is something, if you, I don't know if you know who Cliff High is, but he has these web bots that go out and pull all this language from the internets and it finds these very interesting patterns. And one of the things that he talks about as what happened with um, during the Soviet Union is that collapsed. All of that bribe money that's currently being paid to all of these uh, special access programs and so forth that's those checks stop coming and what do they do well now they're sitting on a pile of secrets that's worth you know million hundreds of millions of dollars they sell it so that they can eat and and so forth so as part of the regime collapse you get this environment where uh, all of these secrets revealed start coming out and we get the benefit and i think a lot of that's going to be sort of the free energy and and some of the sort of uh ufo uap type stuff coming out the confines here's the way i like to put it the confines that push technology into asymmetric modes of command and control become symmetric 
and distributed once again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, we're going to have an explosion of, uh, you know, for, for the average person, I think it'll mean much greater wealth. You know, a lot of people don't think about like ever dividing the GDP by the number of workers in America, but I think you come to something like $300,000 per worker. Wow. And, and most people would go, where's that money going? Wouldn't that put me in like 98 point something percentile? Yeah. Yes, it would. And sure. The people at the top are, you know, almost exponentially more productive, but not, not by the tilting that we see not even close. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think maybe 99% of Americans would be wealthier in a distributed system. 99%, maybe more than that. Yeah. yeah. That's how, that's how bad the tilt is. And the whole corporate America is really this idea of the command and con- control hi- paradigm hierarchy that mirrors what we have in uh, the, the state and the government. And yeah, it's just a, a corporation too. Yeah, in a blockchain world, in a decentralized finance world, there's really no reason to have that structure. I think we're going to see much more flexible teams and workplaces and so forth in ways that we can only imagine right now. And uh, getting the sort of the state out of it, if you look at like Dr. Mary Ruart's book, Healing Our World, she talks about this massive increase in wealth once the government's not there getting in the middle taking their cut and you know 80 percent for them and 20 percent for the objective kind of thing because hey they need offices they need lots of bureaucrats and furniture and uh conferences that cost half a million dollars every year and on and on it's interesting how many people can't even imagine that this could be possible right it, it's it's so interesting to, to see that. But uh, I was going to bring up a project that I think you're really going to like to hear about. Okay. Um, so Richard Werner, uh, some people might Google that name. They might even find out that he was a uh, he was one of the young leaders at the World Economic Forum. But he was the one that they cut out. They literally cut his program out to to remove him from you know being able to come and, and have you know the the right to speak at the World Economic Forum. What he did, um, he he's creating a cryptocurrency system to replace community banking. Wow! Uh, I've become friends with um with his primary associate in that mission, and I think people will like to hear about that. You know, um, I think it's called Valhalla Network or something like that. Okay. So people may people who want to support and root for community banking or maybe even invest in it, they have like uh, governance tokens. Okay. Um, uh, you know, may, may look up that project and see, you know, could this be the thing that rebuilds community banking in Europe and the U S might be interesting. Okay. Someone's asking about your Twitter. I've got that right here. It's rounding the yeah, earth edu engineer at edu engineer on Twitter. If you want to find them rounding and the that earth, moth, that moth is me. I turn into that when I go to bed, the moth is you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And roundingtheearth.substack.com is where you can find his uh, blog posts and so forth. They're excellent, very insightful. And uh, I really appreciate the discussion, Matthew. And thank you for taking the time with us. And I I didn't know all the sort of bond history and that you were an actuary and, and all of that as well. So that was fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, You know, I feel like the DMED in particular is an important, it's a weird issue. It's one where, you know, we have the evidence and it's not being sort of properly supported in the community. So, you know, we need to, to make people aware of it, make people understand it and, um, and have enough sort of momentum behind understanding it to that, that multiple groups of lawyers 
you know, um, file FOIAs and figure out and get to the bottom of what's going on there because it's big. I, th- I think that that understanding it could stop the entire program. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the, the repercussions of that coming out, I, you know, I, I think we're barreling down that road to where the, the injuries and the die off are going to get so um, undeniable that it's, it's going to be everybody, but that 30% that's in the mass formation that is going to acknowledge it and say, hold on, something's very, very wrong here. Um, but anything we can do, I, I had no idea that like this was stalled uh, like that and, and wasn't, I mean, maybe getting traction, but doesn't seem like it is. So if there's people out there in the audience or, you know, somebody that knows how to file these FOIA requests, I mean, even if somebody got the requests and handed you the data, would that be helpful? Um, you know, I'd, I'd hand the data to whoever, you know, I'd, I'd walk anybody through it okay. uh, who wanted to try, you know, the, the key with the FOIA is, I mean, anybody can file for you, mm-hmm. but yeah, you need to be, um, tactical. No you don't want them to to throw you a $300,000 bill at you, yeah. you know, and yeah. say, you know, it was this many person hours and this, that, you know, you, you've got to know, you know, for something this big, you've got to know some key factors, but I have a list of, of those things from okay. somebody, uh, from the person who helped Aaron Siri craft his FOIAs. Okay. for the, the FDA, for the Pfizer documents that are coming out. Right. Okay. So, you know, we've got a good read on it. So if somebody's serious and is really going to take the time and put in the effort to do this, get a hold of Matthew. He can help you with some of the terms and technical jargon and so forth to look for, to sort of draw this information out. And then, you know, anything I can do to help with the, this, don't hesitate to reach out as well. So... All right. Thanks so much, Sam. Very, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. My audience certainly appreciates it. One uh, final question. Someone's asking, what do you think about Dr. Naomi Wolf? She has 250 lawyers, something at Daily Clout. Do you know? Yeah, I talked that? with her um, twice in the last couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, when, when I published my last article about the DMED, um, I mentioned her um, because she had, had um, been talking about the numbers that I, I didn't believe were correct or that I found out weren't correct, you know, a few months ago. And, uh, and so she called me and said, you know, what's the story on this? And she said, okay, can I interview? So uh, a week ago today, um, we talked uh, live for uh, you know, about 35 minutes and uh, I guess she's uh, editing that and I hope she posts it soon. Okay. Um, but she was, uh, you know, she was very receptive to having good. a discussion about it. Good, good. Maybe we'll get some traction there. All right, sir. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And I, I, right. I certainly appreciate it. Have a lovely evening. Have a good night. Okay. All right, folks. There you go. Uh, pretty compelling stuff. I think there's clearly some evidence of shenanigans going on in the military. We've got a kind of a difference of opinion as to why that might be happening. I'd love to dive into the defuse stuff and get the whole backstory on what all the evidence points to is how this developed from Charles someday, perhaps, and uh, we'll go from there. But uh, in the meantime, I guess that's it. I should be back next Sunday and I will catch you all then. Thanks, everybody. 
Can't see what's happening by now, then you're blind They said it was to save lives, yeah that was a lie The writing's on the wall man, can't you see the signs? Now they coming for the children, they just crossed the line They said just give it time, only three weeks and it will all be fine They want you tuned in to that TV every night So that they can implant fear deeply in your mind Now in order to defeat them, yo we need to unite The Ministry of Truth has taken over There's a reason that they chose Corona, yeah Corona means crown, work it out Man, it's all symbolism from the beginning They told ya, a virus of the mind Infecting your thoughts, but enough is enough Now we're saying no more We see the Trojan horse at the door This is war, we can't ignore the call Big brother's gonna fall Yeah, we gotta light the torch for humanity Cause 1984 wasn't fantasy George Orwell was warning what the plan would be Now you can see it all in their strategy Yeah, they wanna call us conspiracy theorists But right now we're the ones that are seeing the clearest This is social engineering How many alarm bells have to ring before people start to hear them Serious, ah, can't you see this is deliberate They hand out sanitizers and masks but not vitamins McDonald's stayed open, same time the gyms didn't The only pandemic is cognitive dissonance Yeah, this is totalitarian People are waking up so they need to keep scaring them Declaring new waves and new variants They got tricks up their sleeves so we gotta be prepared for them They choose what the facts are with their propaganda We know what their plans are so they won't get that far, nah You don't have to be Pythagoras to see that this ain't adding up How much until you've had enough, ah Right now it's the last straw, yeah They're slowly bringing in their passports It's been leading to this from the start Time to look into your heart now and choose what you stand for It's the dehumanization of the nation Erasing the basic foundations of human relations The emergence of apartheid creating segregation That's the road that they're paving Cause if you're not jabbed, then it's you that they're blaming It's you that is dangerous, mass manipulation Coercing you to get penetrated What's the difference between that and a rapist? I think their plot's got some holes They want you to follow rules, but they don't It's a joke, now it's coming to the end of the road It's a fight for our souls How much of your life have they already stole? And how much more will they try to? How much will you turn a blind eye to? Roll up your sleeve and get a free donut to eat Can't you see they're trying to bribe you? What's really in that concoction? How many adverse reactions till we stop this? How many must die for power, lies and profits? I refuse to just stand by watching, no that is not an option What if that was your kid? Maybe then you would start talking Maybe then you'd see the point The children need a voice We need to fight for their future before it's destroyed